The Redefining Parenthood podcast focuses on building your family using a donor, featuring stories where a difficult trying to conceive journey has unexpectedly led them towards this path. I'm your host, Becky, also known as Defining Mum, a proud mum to three amazing girls, all thanks to egg donation, following my own diagnosis of premature ovarian failure in my late 20s. I know from my own experience and speaking to many others that this isn't a simple path. It's not just a one-time decision and there's lots to think about, many emotions to deal with and actually with very little support available and quite often we just don't know anyone else who can truly relate to how we're feeling. That's where this podcast can help. Through personal stories I'll be sharing relatable conversations as we talk about the hope and the expectations, alongside feelings of shame, dealing with genetic loss, family resemblances, talking to others and importantly to our children about this lesser discussed family building story. Welcome to the very first episode of the Redefining Parenthood podcast, where I hope that I can bring to life the experiences of those who have needed to redefine their family building vision and embark on a path to parenthood through donor conception. Since I launched my trailer last week, the response has been amazing, and I'm so excited to bring these conversations to you. My first guest shared her story of egg donation on a huge platform back in 2019 in People magazine. And since then, we've connected through Instagram, but this is the very first time I've heard her story in such detail, and I'm excited to share it with you. What is amazing is that although our experiences are different in different countries and at different times, our emotions are so similar, and I'm sure many of you will relate to this story too. I'll also be joined in this episode by my friend and resident psychological expert, Julianne Boutaleb, a perinatal psychologist from Parenthood in Mind, who is going to help me explore some of the complex emotions that we talk about on this path to parenthood. I hope you like it. So I'm delighted to be joined by Camille Guati, who is a TV and film actress from the US and is the first person that we know of that has really started to talk about this on a global stage. The fact that she's been through not just infertility, but also egg donation to build her family. So Welcome, Camille, and thank you so much for coming to talk to me, because I still remember when I very first heard your story, and I'd been sharing for about a year, and suddenly people were bringing to my attention that, oh my goodness, this People magazine are talking about egg donation, and somebody's sharing their story of egg donation, and I remember um, watching Prison Break, I remember seeing you in that, and... um, I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing, and reached out to you, and yeah, I think we just shared a lot in terms of our feelings around how we feel now as mums through egg donation, um, but also a lot in common around wanting to kind of break down the shame and stigma that surrounds this topic as well. Um, so I think it'd be great to hear a little bit more about your story and, and how you came to use an egg donor, um, and also sort of about why you're sharing your story now. So I'm going to hand over to you to give us a bit of an overview of of you and your story and, and how you came to have your son. Thank you. Well, first, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. And also, you were such a pivotal part of me being able to transition easily into this you were almost like a comforting blanket at times to help me through like really you know tough moments because it is a little bit of a roller coaster ride in the beginning um so I'm just so grateful that you also have the platform that you do and that you've spoken out and um 
I'm grateful that you're having me here. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so my, it's, I'm an actress. Um, and because of that, it definitely is because of my career that I held off, um, from getting pregnant. I'm, I've always envisioned myself as a mother, but I didn't know when to stop the ball from rolling. I was very afraid of my career kind of rejecting me after I yeah. became a mom. So that's a topic in itself. <laughs> um, uh, but so I started later on in life. I started when I was 38. Um, and I did not think for one moment that I was going to have a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, thought we would just do it the way you were supposed to do it and you would be pregnant. It, it's kind of crazy to me now after going through such a struggle that I was so naive yeah. to how hard it can be to get pregnant. But I I didn't have the knowledge, nor was I given any information about it. Completely. So it's, yeah. it's just, it's kind of when you go back in time, you're just like, wow, nobody ever told me along the way you yeah. should do this or- now. Or it you might not happen. I mean, I still find it crazy. Like, yeah, if yeah. someone says to me they got pregnant naturally, I'm like, how? Like, it just feels impossible now. <laughs> it blows my mind. Um, but you just don't think it's going to be right. a struggle, do you? You just think, right, we'll have a baby. We'll try and have it at this point in time because that's convenient for us. And then things don't go to plan. Right. And it's so funny because sometimes like I, my publicist, actually, she blames me for her, for her pregnancy when it was, she was like, you told me to, to try that it might not happen right away. And hers took <laughs> right away. And I was like, well, take that yes. as a blessing because the other end of the stick is not no. so fun. So, um, so I tried at 38, uh, we started at 38, we, for like six, seven months, buckled down. Um, nothing happened. And then, uh, a friend of my husband's, he's a doctor, a urologist actually said, maybe you should go see, um, an IVF specialist, a fertility specialist. So we did, and they took my blood work and it was really low. Um, I think I was 0.54, uh, AMH level. And I didn't understand, like, this was like first introduction to everything. So I didn't really get it. I didn't understand what that was. And he basically said, well, you should do this now. I remember that. If you want to have it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, God. Mm. Okay. Um, And it was like, I think I was in shock for a bit because I don't think the actual depth of what he was saying penetrated. I feel like I was just in my own world being like, well, we'll do this, but I'll get pregnant with it. And, um, we did it, didn't work. So you went straight into um, IVF. And then, that... Right. Straight in. Straight. Yeah. yeah. So we, we did like six months to almost maybe more, maybe six months to a year trying and then did, uh, IVF the first round didn't work. Um, and then, uh, you know what? I wasn't 38 yet, but it was close to, it was around my 38th birthday that we did IVF. So, um, that didn't work. And then I got a job. Um, and 
I was like, how, and I was away. And I said, how do I do this? How do I do a job where I'm away and continue doing IVF? Because now I'm panicked thinking I have to do IVF to have a baby. So we saw a new doctor and he said, well, let's do an IUI. So we did an IUI. And in my mind, theoretically, I'm like, oh, wow, IUI, get right in there. I'm going to get pregnant. Nope, that didn't work. Then I'm four months, five months shooting somewhere else, and we're I'm pumped up with drugs the entire time, playing a woman who's pregnant. Wow. My husband's coming out, you know, doing his deed, on, and I'm and I'm making up all these lies and stories to go to the hospital to get my baseline done. To do, like it was yeah. chaotic. No wonder I didn't get pregnant, but it was. It was another one of those things where I didn't feel comfortable telling my producers that I was full in full mode trying to yeah. get pregnant. And why um, do you think you you didn't feel comfortable telling? So uh, the other thing I do is work with Fertility Matters at work, and that's all about kind of employers and supporting people through this. But yeah. people just don't feel comfortable enough to tell. I do feel like the time is changing, um, but you know, especially with the times up me yeah. too it's really been empowering women in a different okay. way and before it wasn't like verbatim from my producer's mouth we when I was playing the woman who was pregnant we think we're gonna write your character um you're, we think your character's gonna lose the baby because it's just not sexy to be pregnant oh my goodness so here I am trying to struggling to get pregnant and my producer says this. That's unbelievable. And I, I was like, wow, okay. So in my head, I'm like, I can't tell them that I'm trying to get pregnant. What are they going to think then? They're going to write me out of season yeah, two. because they don't think it's sexy. <laughs> so that, That's crazy. Yes. I mean, what a sexist yeah. comment to make. And definitely grounds for a fire, you know, yeah. nowadays. Um, but then not really, you know, we, you couldn't really say much. I mean, I can go on about this. I actually lost, they, another job paid me when I was four months pregnant and they found out I was pregnant to not come to not work all season, you know, whole season, 10 episodes. And they paid me not to say anything and not to work. So I know that it's legitimately, it happens. Um, and that was my fear. And it did, it did happen. But beyond that, um, after that, I, I was, the show got canceled. I went home and really just, you know, was like, all right, I'm going to do as many IVF cycles as I can until I get yeah. pregnant. And one, one cycle after another, after another, we banked all of our embryos. We had about um, 20 embryos. Wow, that's quite good numbers in um, terms of the your AMH level and, and everything else. Yeah. We, you know, I, it was kind of like, I felt like a mad scientist, yeah. like me and the doctor would like work and be like, okay, what concoction can we come <laughs> up with this time? Let's maybe try it this way. You know, you, you come up with all of these different scenarios and I was so caught up in um, my idea of what, a family was going to look like that I kind of in retrospect looking back I was a little bit of a mad woman like I was not gonna stop until like 
the Lord put a yeah. sign like so I needed a sign because I was if I was financially capable if I was emotionally and physically capable I was going to keep on going until we got that one egg yeah that one embryo yeah that I can relate so much to that and yeah right it's just it's a it's a feeling that I can't I know people that are listening will understand unless you have gone through it, you don't understand that give it feels like giving yeah. up. Yeah. Right. Like, well, I'm not going to yeah. stop until someone forces yeah. me to stop. I remember thinking that's not going to be me. And I'm going to be that one that beats the odds and gets there. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, I always thought that I'm like, this is no way this is my story. Like, this is not going to happen. This, this time it's going to work. And this one's going to work. And this, and after every time that it didn't work, it was like, holy cow, like what, what is happening? (laughs) What is happening to me? And to take it to the donor um, topic, my doctor was very good about bringing mm. up broaching the conversation every single time and he was so delicate i love him so much the way his bedside manner was amazing um he would always talk about what next steps are and then he'd be like and then over here we um we have donor yeah conception and i was like no like in the beginning i was like what's that and don't i literally was like can we please not talk about this for my husband? Like, I don't know why you're bringing this up. I was really annoyed that he would talk about this in front of him the first time, because all of a sudden I just started to feel this, like I felt shame. I felt guilt. I felt broken. I, it's unbelievable. The, just all of these feelings that come up that, you just feel like you're not enough and why is this happening to me? And this is something that I always, that I say too, some couples don't understand that it's, it's actually not happening to you. It's happening to us. Yeah. Right. And so that also can help take away some of the pain that is happening that we feel as women are caring or men you know, this isn't just a woman's, a woman's problem. Completely, yeah. Men go through this, you know, and I feel like we're just so used to covering it up for men. Yeah. Or thinking you know? that they're not feeling but, the same because they're holding it together. I remember thinking like, oh, you don't seem as bothered as I am. I'm sobbing after every appointment. Yet I think my husband felt he'd got to be the strong one and to think practically he's very right. logical thinking and next steps I was very emotionally driven and at first was like no egg donation not for me I can't get my head around that at all um but it's amazing right. how you can shift over time isn't it so how did you it's get to that incredible. point so so um like I said I, I kind of needed I needed something to really bop me over the head. Um, I think after the fourth, uh, fifth round, I um, I started to dabble in the idea, like secretly not telling my husband, but I would go on websites and I would kind of look around. And, um, and then I got a job in New York and I knew that there was this doctor in New York that I had been reading about. And he was like, the guru could get you pregnant, you know, like all, you know, doctor, <laughs> yeah. you know, the wizard and and I went to see him and I was like this is a sign I'm in New York and he's there and he had an appointment and he saw me and it fit it worked 
Next thing you know, he says, I can get you pregnant. I mean, never trust a doctor for a stuff that says, I can get you pregnant. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a number. You just don't know. So he said, I'm going to put you on this protocol for six weeks. We're going to do another round of IVF. I said, okay, great. I did everything that he said. Then I do my baseline and my baseline comes up 0.1. Wow. Like point point one zero or point zero one. I don't, it was like the lowest of the low. And when I went, when they went to check how many follicles I had, I had zero. Oh my goodness. Like nothing to work with. So this guy who checked me was like, you know, I I just feel like if you're going to spend all this money on IVF, you probably shouldn't do this round. And I was like, you're right. Thank you. I walked out and sobbed and was like, okay. Like that was it. That was the, that was the sign that I needed to move on, not to accept a donor, but to move on. So at this, and this is also another thing that, you know, a lot of people talk about and you've talked about it is the whole grieving thing. It's at that moment, like that was, I felt such loss for a baby that I didn't have. You know, I felt, it's it's unexplainable unless you've really gone through it but it was I think I had held on so tightly to this image of what this baby was going to look like and feel like and what what I you know I envisioned playing and holding and everything so this child was so real to me and at that moment is when I had to let go of all of it and I just started to really think about donor conception and why I was so against it. Like, why was I so opposed to this? Because I really felt putting another woman, like an egg from another woman in my body felt so wrong. Uh, And I'm being 100% honest because I've come through on the other side. Like it just, I couldn't wrap my brain around it. It's like, I'm going to put, this is going to feel so foreign to me. This is not going to feel like my baby. Yeah. And the thought of it, of your husband's sperm as well, going with another woman's egg, that was a, a very strange one for me to get my head around as well. And then you're just carrying, like to me, then I'm just carrying this child that's really my husband and somebody and some other woman's. Like it was, this is the way that yeah. I perceived it in the beginning. And, and I then made this shift and I don't I can't even tell you when or how but I just remember thinking what's the most important thing to me I want to be a mother and for my my husband wants to be a father and he really wanted his genetics and I think part of that was the sting for me too because I was like well why do you get to have your genetics and I don't that's just not fair. So I have to go through all of this because of something that you want. Like, can't we just be on the same page and adopt? Yeah. Like this is, I mean, these are all like real true feelings. It feels like such a big sacrifice that you're having to make. And yeah, I've heard that so many times from people who said, I just really resent my partner for getting to share their genetics. And and still even now, occasionally when Matt, is looking at the girls and he'll just say, Oh my goodness, Eska, you've just got my eyes. 
and it still stings a little bit because I think I'm never going to know how oh, that yeah. feels yeah. but um yeah it's definitely something I think is more common than you think but people don't like to say it out loud because they don't want to seem ungrateful yeah. or yeah they feel guilty that they're having these feelings of resentment towards their partner yeah I I definitely I, I'm I come from a family that we talk about our feelings so I didn't feel um I put it out there you know I talked about it and we also sought counseling because this was it, it was a new territory that none of us have ever experienced before. And I really did have resentments. I had resentments. I felt threatened by this, you know, by this woman who would have, who was our donor or well, we didn't have one at the time, but just the idea yeah. of that. And I still had this feeling that I was broken. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and all of that, we really worked through that with counseling and, and this shift happened where instead of looking at this woman as a person who was taking something away from me or making me feel like I was not enough, because that's really what it is, that she can give something yeah. that I can't. I then looked at this woman as, right, she can give me something that I can't. She is giving me the gift of life. Like, the most precious gift that anybody could ever give me in my entire existence on this earth yeah. is a child and the ability and that I'm so thankful that I actually have the ability to carry because some women don't have that. Yeah. So if I have the one part of it, why not experience what that part is? Yeah. If I can. And, um, and I'm so happy that I made that decision. Um, yeah. I'm really glad you you mentioned that because, just about, sorry, just going back about with the the yeah. feeling of being, feeling threatened by the thought of the donor. And, and because I really relate to that as well. And I think in those early days, it is, right. you, you see this woman who can do that one thing that you so desperately want to do, but can't. And it's hard not to feel those little feelings of jealousy. And, and why do you get to have this, genetic connection with my child that I don't but I think mm -hmm. just as you said I, I kind of flipped it and thought well she may have that genetic connection but she is enabling all the connections that I then get to have from there on in um right and so yeah I think what you say about counseling I think that's so important to work through that grief and, and those feelings yes. and to bottle those up which is what I really did at the time isn't really healthy for you. you yeah I did I didn't have ever have any specific counseling in relation to donor conception I did I had a counselor that I saw through work but which was really helpful so it was better than nothing but I think it would have really helped me to explore all of these different feelings at the time and it's only really yeah. looking back and reflecting that I've realized that's how I felt and that's why I felt that way and that's why I think it's amazing that we're talking mm -hmm. about this now because I'm sure there's people listening going that's me and and thank goodness I'm not alone in this because I don't know about you but I just felt like I was the only person in the world going through these feelings did you know anyone at the yeah. time that had used a donor you know, you know I'm very lucky that I, I did have someone but um she it, 
hers was a little different. Um, she had her sister give her an egg. So the baby looks exactly okay. like her. Yeah. Um, so it's still a similar genetic makeup. Um, but she also had a friend who, um, had, uh, twins via donor conception. And I got to speak to her beforehand and I spoke to her about how did you make the decision for that specific donor? Cause that's also yes, another part that's of a it. Minefield. <laughs> oh my gosh. How overwhelming. So now you have all of the struggles of infertility and then now you have to pick the donor, which can be so exciting and fun. That's, you know, one of the, but it can also be very daunting. Yeah. And, you know, how do you, how do you make yeah, that I think choice? nothing can prepare you for that. And I think your experience was probably very different to mine because I was matched based on characteristics. But I assume over in the US, mm. you had a database of donors to look through and choose and find out about. Tons. Yes, but you know, with we ended up not doing it in the US. We ended up going um to Mexico because I found more women that uh, looked like me in Mexico yes. than I did here. Um also it's such a racket money-wise. It's so yeah. expensive. By the time we had done our six, the failed round, we were I mean financially tapped yeah. out. And and actually yeah. I think particularly when you've been through such a long journey to get to that point of even just changing paths you are so vulnerable at that time as well I think and and I think that is a really difficult thing as well because especially when you're making these huge decisions for the future and you are so so desperate for this to work because you literally all of your hopes then rest on egg donation and not everyone's got a bottomless pit of money that they can just keep going and going and going. And so you kind of move into this, you accept the loss of the dream that you'd always held of having a child using your own genetics. And you then move on to a new dream and you've, you think, right, this is it. We're going to go down this route, but you still have that massive fear at the back of your mind of what if this doesn't work? Like, what do we do? And there are people, unfortunately, that they do go through a donor cycle yeah, and it doesn't There are work. no guarantees. And, and... Yeah. it's just, it's, um, it is a better percentage. Yeah. There is a better percentage some, most of the time when doing donor than doing your eggs. If it's, you know, if they haven't worked. Um, I remember my uh, acupuncturist said, this was also another part of my shift, which I wanted to mention too. We had been working so hard to let one of my, to make one of my embryos like healthy enough to implant. And um, it never worked. 20 never worked. And when we were going to go to the next round, um, you know, she said to me, oh, I had showed her uh, some donors that I kind of were looking at. And she was like my little secret counselor as well. And she said to me, go for the donors. And I, and I wasn't a hundred percent yet. I said, why? And she said, Camille, she's like, even if one of your embryos takes, what if it's not healthy? She's like, do you want a healthy baby? I said, yes. Do you want a baby? I said, yes. She's like the, if you go with a donor who has healthy eggs, younger, they're most likely you're going to have a healthy baby. 
And if we're really struggling to make one of your eggs at the moment work, it may not, that one embryo may not be healthy. Yeah. And I was like, she's really right. Yeah. The percentage of, you know, healthy embryo to not healthy embryo at the rate that I was going was not high. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very low. And sometimes you need people to almost bring that to the front of your mind don't you you need someone to say it for you it's like when you said you made the decision after that doctor said look this is your best chance and I I remember just thinking to myself god I just wish someone would just tell me to do it because I didn't like the pressure of having to move on myself just tell me like just tell me but no one ever really did but it was like a gradual process of acceptance um but yeah so many similarities as you're talking um I also found it's like a counsellor in my reflexologist at the time and it's just having that outlet to just talk about how you're feeling with someone who's who gives you the space to do so um so tell me about actually embarking on that donor cycle so how did you choose your donor and and did did it work first time for you um, well, no, uh, we chose a donor, uh, she was very young and part of the issues with going to other countries sometimes, um, is the level of, um, responsibilities, the legalities are not really in place yet. Um, so it was me really running yeah. the ship a lot. Um, I chose my own clinic. We found a donor, first time doing it. She was super young. And I said to the agency, I said, is she ready for the responsibility? It's a lot. Long story short, I'm playing a 34-week pregnant woman on a TV show. My husband flies out to Mexico to do his deposit while they're retrieving the eggs. And I get a call from the doctor saying she didn't take the trigger shot on time. And she ovulated 17 eggs. Oh, my goodness. I I was like, wait, wait, what? She ovulated all 17 of her eggs. So um, we then, through a lot of trauma, (laughs) had to find another donor. Um, And then this donor was, you know, supposed to be a really big producer of a lot of eggs. You know, she's done it before. And we got one embryo it just shows you there's no guarantees when you come to this no so one embryo and I just the fear that I had around one embryo so I have done I have transferred 20 of my own not to mention five that we had before that weren't any good and not one took so I am relying my whole existence of being a mom on this one embryo. And that's what I told my husband. I was like, we got it. You have to consider adoption because I need the pressure to be taken yeah. off of me in case this doesn't work. I need you to be on the same page with me. And through that, I started my foster a dream, which is a nonprofit for foster kids. But this one in the meantime, <laughs> this one yeah. golden egg actually took amazing so so it's um yeah it's just through everything that we went through I remember that feeling when I found out that I was pregnant it's it was I just didn't I don't I cried and I don't think I spoke for a while yeah and I was with my friend and she was just screaming and screaming and screaming and I, I she's like how do you feel and I just didn't I didn't 
I didn't want to say I was yeah, pregnant. Yeah, you don't want to jinx it. Because I was so Yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, the levels are high, but it's really early. Like, and I have video of me telling my husband, I'm like, it's really early. It's really early. I'm like, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody. I'm like, it's just really early. we got to just, I'm just going to like be like a grandma and like, and walk really slow. And I was just so afraid that this was not yeah. going to work because it hadn't worked for years yeah. before. Just felt like a dream. I remember thinking but, that, like, I was just almost, I think you become yes. so programmed for bad news as well, that you kind of thinking this is going to be ripped from me in yes. a minute. And you just don't get right. too excited. I don't know whether you were the same. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But then there came a point where I was, I was a very happy pregnant person. Yeah. And I just absolutely loved it. Loved it. I loved every second of it. So, and, and it's so, I still had my, I had certain fears that I had in the beginning, but this idea that I couldn't connect to my child um, was completely absolved when I was caring. Like I did, I felt like such yeah. a mom. Yeah. Like I was, I was the mother at that moment and I, and I understood and I, I got what my doctor was trying to tell yeah. me, <laughs> but nobody can tell no. you, you know, you have to hear these stories or hear people talking about it and, um, and experience it for yourself. Absolutely. And, and I think for some people it may never feel like the right thing, but it's it's hard to know when you're there and when you're ready but I think for me it was when I suddenly started to feel more excited about the prospect and and rather than sad about not having my genetics anymore I felt excited about all of the things that we could have and the possibilities this gave and yes. yeah and did you feel like you thought about egg donation much while you were going through the pregnancy or was that put at the back of your mind how did you how did you find being pregnant? Um, well, like I said, I was super, I was a very happy pregnant woman, but I did still have some fears. Um, one of my biggest fears was knowing that he wasn't going to look like me. Yeah. And, um, and what was that going to feel like? Because it's, you know, kind of like it's already scripted when people see a baby oh they have your eyes or they have this or he looks like you no he looks like you it's like a whole thing and I remember being like let's really sit with what that's gonna feel like that was my big sting yeah I don't know why it hurt it would hurt so much and it did I had moments where it where it happened and it happened a lot but there was one in particular moment that it was because it happened over and over and over again yeah I just like I broke and I was like gosh why do people keep on yeah. doing that like stop. so were they saying and it's not that they fault. say that you didn't look like your baby or were they just asking those questions well, he does he looks exactly like Sai. he does he has like a lot of his physicalities but he has a lot of my characteristics yeah. like there are things that I do I didn't realize, like, he does this funny smile thing and face facial expression. And the other day, I was in the mirror with him, and I and I did my facial expression. And I looked, and I was like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> like, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> that he it's does. Like mirroring. He's picking up your expressions. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think people say he looks like me when he's 
doing expressions when he's, yeah. you know, his personality is his own personality, but he definitely has been um, copying a lot of my, uh, you know, I don't know, my person. He does copy a little bit of my personality. I'm noticing. I'm just like, wow, that's, and that too is what makes somebody say, oh, he looks yeah. like you. But he really doesn't. <laughs> I'm like, it's okay. I know he doesn't. It's fine. But that's also part of what we need to go through, I think. Because who said that building a family has to be A, B, and C? Who yeah. says that? You know, we're just been so ingrained in the way that we have to build a family is mommy and daddy come together and this is how we do it. Well, no, yeah. not today. Today we can build a family in many different ways and we need to get accustomed to that idea and not make it feel so shameful when yeah. we can't do it the way that the society has imposed upon us to do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And and what led you to share your story on kind of such a big scale? So I think it was 2019 when you announced your pregnancy and yeah, and you announced it by saying that you needed the help of an egg donor as well. You know, I remember, um, I remember my, my publicist came up to me and said, Hey, people magazine want to announce your pregnancy. That was it. And I said, okay. Um, and she had known my story and I said, I I have a feeling I'm, I'm going to want to talk about this, but I need to talk to my husband. So I started thinking about that and I started thinking about, well, how horrible would it feel to announce my pregnancy and not say yeah. how I got there? Like, what a lie. What a sham to just be like, we got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> no, I went through years of struggling and, and I just want to like, and, and I say this, it's like verbatim every single time we struggled and struggled and struggled. And I'm finally like, we've come, we've climbed this big mountain and now, now I'm overlooking the top and I feel so grateful where I'm at. Why am I not sharing my story? That's my story. Am I not sharing my story because I'm afraid of what somebody else is going to think yeah. of me? Am I not sharing my story because of the shame that I felt in the beginning of all of this? in the accepting of needing to do donor conception or wanting to do donor conception. Cause I don't yeah. need to do donor conception. I didn't need to do it. I chose to do it. And, and I was like, well, that makes me actually feel really bad that I don't like that. People, people told me you don't have to talk about it. And they're right. Yeah. I don't have to, I didn't have to but I felt like there was more shame in not telling people about how we formed our family than in speaking about it. Like just the fact that I felt that I wanted people to know. And, and there were so many people that was the first thing. And the second thing were when I was talking to people about donor conception, they would be like, Oh, you probably don't have to do that. Do you know what you're, I know a person who got pregnant after doing all these rounds of IVF and boop, they just got pregnant, like miraculously at 44 yeah. years old. So you can do it. And I was like, I'm done hearing these hero stories. Yes. Would I wish that, or actually, no, not now because I would have never had my son, but at the time, would I have wished that I wouldn't have had to go through all that? And one of those things would have happened to me. 
but no, like we don't need a hero story. And why are you trying to give me a hero story? Because you feel like what I'm about to tell you makes you feel uncomfortable. Using a donor, whenever I would bring it up, would make make people like jar a yeah. little bit. And then that would bring up my insecurity and I would talk about it more. I would just, I, I would, I would try to like make them feel better by making myself feel yeah. better. You know, it was like this whole weird process, but I realized that people were seeing it the way that I saw it. And I wanted people to see it the way that I saw it now, or yeah. see it now. You know, I wanted people to see my truth now, not my truth when I was trying to get pregnant with yeah. my genetics. Yeah. Because the shift is huge, isn't it? Um, you, your mindset shifts on so many different things over that time. And how did you feel when the story went out there then? Because obviously, I mean, I remember mine's on a tiny scale in comparison, but when I was first launching my blog and I kind of shared it on Facebook with all of the people who in my life who I've known at some point in time and I was holding my breath thinking oh what are people going to think and what are the reactions going to be and actually I was overwhelmed by the positivity but I can imagine it going out there in a huge magazine and knowing that people are going to read it I mean how did how did that feel? I obviously had to talk to my husband and make sure that we were on the same pages because I said you know once this is out there it's out there and he actually didn't have the same viewpoint as me to talk about it to okay. our child or other people, which was, you know, fair game. Everybody has their own opinion, but we needed to come on that. We need to come to that same yeah. conclusion, you know, and I finally, you know, made him, not made him, but we talked about it and we were on the same page with it. And when it came out, it was a bit scary, yeah. but I also was kind of relieved yeah. because, um, and I was excited. I was excited to be one of the first people to say this. I was excited for maybe some change to happen. I really thought it was going to get the ball rolling in a certain, <laughs> in, in the Hollywood world, but it didn't at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and, and just the, the feedback that came after that was incredible. Just because I did feel in the dark with it. You know, at the time, I don't even think I found you yet. No, I think you... I don't... I think you came to me after the yeah. People magazine. Yeah, I, I remember reading it. So I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know about the community. And and it was it was like an influx of people, men and women, telling me, thank you for sharing. I've been going through the same thing. I actually haven't talked about it to anybody and I think it opened my world up to the the world that exists on Instagram yeah. now or, you know, social media where it's infertility and donor conception. And I didn't even know that was around. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't before I started kind of sharing and, and it, you don't realize how many more people are going through this. And, and by sharing in the way that you've done, what you have done is is majorly kind of lost the taboo around it. You've said to people that it's okay to stand up there and say that I needed help to have my baby. And and I think another huge thing around it as well is not only are you sharing your story, you also set an, an example to your son that you're proud of right. that story and it's nothing to be ashamed of. And it's, yeah, mm-hmm. something that you celebrate rather than hide because I hear so many stories exactly. of 
people who have grown up and, and maybe found out later in life that they're donor conceived and they, they feel the weight of the shame that then goes on their shoulders of having to then maybe sometimes even keep the secret because people around them don't know that right you setting that example and showing that there is no shame around this yeah sometimes it doesn't work for people mm-hmm. and we choose a different path and that's a path that we can still be proud of right. um yeah and yes. I, and that's what really got to me when I read your story I was just like oh my goodness I feel seen I feel heard and I I connected with your story and I know I kind of when I've shared things you've connected with things that I've said and it is just having someone else and you go oh my goodness all those times where I felt like I was alone I really wasn't so yeah thank you for sharing it in in that way Oh my gosh, of course. I'm I'm so grateful that I did and I took the opportunity that was presented to me because it is about as much as we can get information and conversations out there, it is changing the world for, I know it feels like we're so small in this big world, but it actually is making a little dent in our children's future. And the more that we can normalize this conversation and the more that people hear about oh, they were conceived via donor. That conversation means that we can start looking at families and be like, oh, that's actually normal. And it's not, we don't view that as like a stigma anymore. Completely. Um, Yeah. So I think it's, it's just so important to, to talk as much as we can. And we have to get we to the gap. I know. So. We can talk, <laughs> we've already been talking way longer than I said, but it's been so, so interesting. So I hope people don't mind the extra long episode. Just to finish off, what would be your three pieces of advice for someone who's going down this path? What have you learned? And, and what would you have told yourself back at the beginning? I think one of the most important ones would be be on the same page with your husband your partner. Um, I actually do talk to a lot of people who want advice on how I can talk, you know, what, how they would talk to their husband about using donor conception and, or try to convince, you know, you need to be a team when you're embarking on this, Um, you know, figure out if you're going to talk to your friends, your family, your child. I 100% think it is appropriate to talk to your child about donor conception and not only appropriate, but I think it's such a gift to share your story and share their story of how they came into this world. Um, And just find like, when it comes to talking to your child about it, come up with a story, come up with your story and how you want to tell. I know my child now is, he's always like, tell me a story, tell me a story. So we sit in bed and I tell him the story of how he came here. And um, and it's really cute, and he knows it, and he comes back and talks about it with me. So it's really important to, to instill those at a very young age, I yeah. think. And I feel like a lot of professionals will say the same thing. My second piece of advice would be to seek counseling. And I know counseling sometimes has a taboo thing with it because it means you need help, but this is such uncharted territories for individuals, for couples that I found so much, um, I found so much relief, so much help, um, when my husband and I went and we, we really did become 
uh, a team when we were going through this. And, um, and that's when I also discovered that this isn't just happening to me. This is happening to us. And I needed, I need to lean, we needed to lean on each other. Yeah. And, um, and it really helped us go through all that. So that would be number two. And then number three would be have fun, have fun. Like we, let's, let's let the stress from our failed IVF cycles and all of these things go. The ticking time clock is no longer there. Let's look at picking your donor and, and have, you know, let that be a little bit stress-free. Start to think about what that person will, what the baby will bring into your life rather than what you don't have which yeah. is so much of IVF focusing on what is wrong with us. Um, you know, I said my husband and I would go out and we would like be at dinner and all of a sudden there'd be a girl that had brown hair as a waiter. And I was like, oh, you know, should we ask her for, <laughs> for her eggs? Like it becomes one of those things. Like you'll start looking at people differently. And we did. And, um, and yeah, that's what I mean about, you know, just have fun in that process. Yeah. Um, be kind to yourself. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it'll happen. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I can relate to all yes. of those. I think particularly the last one, it is so hard to allow yourself to start dreaming again. And I think what you said there, I think for me, it was yes. starting to focus less on what I was losing and, and try and focus on more of what I could potentially gain. And that is absolutely yeah. Yeah. And I think Yeah, I love that. It's like start dreaming again. Yes. yes it is. And That's and you perfect. can allow yourself to do that. Um it can be scary too because you're worried about losing it right. again. But um Right. But yeah, I think it's a big part of being able to think about the future and that's a really big important thing when you're going down the donor route because it isn't just that one time decision that you make and then that's it. It's done and it's part of your history. It's part of your child and and like you say, it's important to be talking to them about it and getting yourself comfortable. And I think everything you said today, just the way in which you share your story is just going to give so much confidence to other people in terms of sharing theirs oh, and, so. and just feeling like it's normal. <laughs> it is one of those yeah, things. This yeah. isn't, it, it's funny because it's like it does have, you know, sometimes before I even entertain this, like it just had this stigma to it and it I don't want it to it shouldn't yeah. it does sometimes but I don't want it to so that's why speaking about it is important absolutely because if you don't speak about it that shows that you have shame in it and you shouldn't I encourage people not to have shame in their story of family planning if they chose donor conception it's just it's a beautiful gift I know you were like oh gift but I like gifts <laughs> I do like it yeah, I, like I can totally see it. I said it myself as well. Um and, <laughs> and it is, it is a a gift to us. Um it's it's huge and life-changing. And yeah, I think the more and more we talk about this, I, I just think it will do so much good for people in the future who are going down this route and, and also for them to share with their friends and family as well and go, if you want to know what this is all about, listen to this. Because I know right. for some people they don't feel as comfortable as we do at talking openly about it It can be hugely difficult but that's where your other piece of advice around counseling comes in around Mm -hmm. these feelings of shame can be so deeply ingrained but only through talking and 
letting them out are you going to lose them because the more you bottle up I think the more shame you feel so yeah just thank and you. shame sometimes comes from our perception of what we think other people are going to think of us absolutely yeah right and if we didn't have that would we feel the same way yeah you know so if we can let go of or if we can change people's minds yeah with our story and our confidence then you know let's talk about it absolutely it's good to talk it's always good to talk <laughs> and thank you next time we'll do it with a glass of wine like last time we will definitely yeah and it's been so lovely to chat to you again and thank you for your time I know so this has lovely been lovely to chat with you we, too we can't do a quick conversation can we but there's just so much to talk about and there's so no. much that we probably didn't even touch on as well but yeah just thank you again I really really appreciate you uh giving up your time and, and sharing your story and kind of leading the way in uh sharing it within Hollywood and let's hope that some others follow suit because <laughs> there, there are hope. others out there <laughs> there definitely are <laughs> I loved chatting with Camille and I want to say a huge huge thank you for sharing your story with us and for your honesty too I'm now going to be speaking with Julianne as we explore some of the feelings that Camille described and we're going to explore them in a little bit more depth to hopefully give a bit more of an understanding as to how these emotions can affect us as we're on this path to parenthood. So I'm really, really delighted to have Julianne with us and Julianne's going to be talking to us throughout all of these episodes about a particular feeling that comes up that isn't often discussed and and that's the whole point of of this podcast really to talk about these experiences that we don't often hear when we talk to other people within our close circles Um, and then quite often we feel very alone in the feelings that we're having so welcome Julianne. Thank you, thank you for having me. And we're going to start with there was a phrase that Camille used when, when we were chatting about our own experiences and it was one that really resonated with me when she talked about how she felt when she was moving towards donor eggs and she said she felt such a loss for a baby that she didn't yet have and I'd just love to talk with you about that feeling um, because the feeling of a loss is so prominent on this journey Mm. and it can also be very confusing once you finally have that child and you still feel those strange feelings of loss so Julianne, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that feeling. I really wanted to put that word, sort of put a word on what Camille was talking about. I think for me, the closest I got was the sense of longing that she talks about. And of course, longing is, you know, sometimes I talk about the longed for baby. And of course, as you're moving towards the longed for baby, it can be really confusing, can't it? You're thinking, well, we now have a way out of the losses that we've had to move through. And as you know, these losses can happen over a long period of time. So where has this longing come from? And I guess for me, that longing is an echo back to where we start on these journeys. You know, where the journey starts is usually coming from a place, usually of, you know, a sense of assumed fertility. Um, And I know some people know long before they start trying to have a baby that they will have issues, but many of us don't. And so we start with this sense of longing. Perhaps we finally met the person we want to start a family with. Perhaps we're in that right place in our lives. And that longing that we've carried with us from very early on as children, um, usually beautifully developed in sort of words and pictures and thoughts about what you know, our babies will look like, what our family will look like, 
that's what gets sparked when we start down this journey of conception. But of course, over time, what we then have to cope with, what we then have to grieve is the feeling that actually that longing may not be met. And I know it can be tempting to imagine that actually, if we're moving towards donor conception as a potential way forward to have a longed for baby, that in fact, we are meeting that need. But that would be far too simplistic um, a take on things. The reality is that the longed for baby is often one that we have a genetic link with. It may be a baby that looks like us. It may also be the longing that it would be um, you know, a baby that will be conceived in a certain way. And these are all very, very deep longings that we have to let go of as we start down the journey of trying to conceive and eventually move into, you know, what Camille is talking about in terms of moving towards um, donor conception. And so whilst we may, and thankfully donor conception, you know, gives people the possibilities to, to move towards having a baby, these longings are still there. They may never go away. And I think that's the other bit that I want to be um, reassuring of. We, whether or not we need help to conceive our babies and um, there will be longings that we may have in terms of what our family looks like in terms of the number of children we may have in terms of whether it's a girl or a boy that we might have and and so there's a very normalized part of this but the very particular part of it is exactly what Camille gives voice to is that loss for a baby I didn't have yet and the reality is that we may actually never have those imagined babies in our arms and that's a difficult thing to conceptualize and to talk about but it is often part of the journey that we need to understand um, in terms of donor conception. I can totally relate to all of that and I suppose what I'm thinking as I'm listening to you now is how do we take that on board? Because um, thinking about that long for baby, and, and I know from my own experience, I'd always imagined I would have this little mini me and just because I look so much like my mum and people have always commented on that. So it was that vision that I lost. And yet now I look at my girls and I couldn't imagine having any other child. And so to talk about loss in what is such a joyful story now, it it feels I I often really struggle with that because I don't ever want them to feel that they are any less than or not what we always wanted. And I just wondered, how do we deal with those sort of complex, contradictory feelings that we might have? Well, I think the first thing is what we're doing today, which is to talk about them, to take them out of the shadows, because they often do linger in the shadows. And they're often the feelings that, you know, people might come to speak to someone like me about, for example, that that sense of, you know, what, why can't I let go of those longings? And, and, you know, why do I feel that side swipe of loss when somebody perhaps comments on how different, you know, my daughter looks from yeah. me or how, you know, like my son is to his dad? I, I think I'm a real believer, as Brené Brown says, that, you know, shame cannot exist in places where stories are spoken that you know we have to let people know that these things can still exist alongside the joy of of finally becoming a parent to a donor conceived child and I think the particularity of it within the donor conception story um, 
is that if we don't normalize those feelings that, that they do unfortunately become part of the shadow for our children um and i guess part of that is even for parents i work with who don't conceive using donor conception there may sometimes be the reality that you know our child isn't as extroverted as we'd like or you know perhaps struggles with finding you know new friends or that there's always going to be a part of parenting which is about longing and loss and so it's normalizing that within the parenthood motherhood story yeah. anyway but holding it and sort of honoring it within the particular story of becoming a parent via donor conception yeah i completely completely agree and it is it is being able to grieve that loss while still feeling joy and that those feelings can coexist coexist um, yeah 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 no i i really appreciate you speaking about this because I think just hearing somebody else voice puts puts a voice and a, a meaning to these feelings it it makes such a difference in terms of validating it and and moving forward and also I always think there are quite a few mirrors between how we may feel but also how our children may feel as well and, and I think it's flipping that over and thinking okay so if I can grieve something whilst feeling <clears throat> immense joy and love they too might also have that feeling of not having that genetic connection but at the same time it doesn't mean that they love me any less or or aren't or any less a part of our family and I think it is just trying to realize that on this path in particular there are more complex con- contradictory emotions that you have to try and reckon with and and understand how to work through absolutely and I think one of the the wonderful things you've done and and part of how the donor conceived you know donor conceived parents and donor conceived adults and have moved on the narratives within the donor conception um, community is understanding that we hold part of the story for our children and they hold the other part. You could also argue that as donor conceived children become adults, that they might hold Mm -hmm. a longing or, you know, a curiosity about who the donor is and, and, you know, why mummy or daddy or their mummies needed a donor. And, um, I think you wrote a post recently, which is beautiful, about the assumptions that we carry for our children, mm-hmm. you know, particularly around same sex relationships that we just assume that, you know, they have worked it out. But of course, we needed yeah. a donor or, you know, we've been speaking about it to them since they were knee high. You know, surely they'll have worked it out by now. But of course, the reality is that, you know, these longings and losses can come up at any stage of yeah. our child's development and our development as, as a parent. And I think it's really important that we're able to hold those feelings um, in different ways and obviously not all the time so that we're not sideswiped by them in adolescence or starting school or any of those periods of transition where, you know, those sorts of parts of the story then come up. Um, We've talked, haven't we, about the primary school transition and that Mm -hmm. first very innocuous task that a child is given which is you know, draw a picture of your family and you know what then comes up for the child for a child that knows already that there you know that there is a donor and that there is a particular story to how they've been conceived that's just part of the story but where I guess those longings and losses have not been processed or talked about and they don't need to be fully resolved remember but at least they need to to be there in the story in the mix 
it can be you know very difficult to hold those parts of the story when the parent yeah. hasn't been able to hold those parts of the story for them. Absolutely. Thank you, Julianne. Your words are always so comforting. And we discuss this in a lot more depth within Paths to Parent Hub um, in some of the webinars that Julianne takes part in. And kind of the whole idea around that that space is for people to be able to express these sort of emotions and talk about them and find others who are feeling the same thing as well. So hopefully for anyone who's listening, that has resonated with you. And if you did want to find out more from Julianne, you can find her at Parenthood in Mind and I'll put her details in the show notes. I hope you found this episode relatable and insightful and I hope that these conversations can help give context and meaning to what is a very complex and emotional topic to explore. You can find Camille on Instagram at Camille Guarty and you can find Julianne at Parenthood in Mind. You can also find me there at Defining Mum and there'll be more about Paths to Parenthood in the show notes too. As this is a new podcast, please do take a moment to rate, review and share. I would be so, so grateful. And next week, we'll be hearing from the lesser discussed male perspective, as well as Julianne's wonderful words of wisdom again. I hope you have a good week and I look forward to sharing more soon. Take care.